0: G'day and uh, welcome to Epic Humans. Today I'm interviewing Tash Hannam, who puts out a lovely blog called The Tash Diaries and is also the founder of a uh, project called Find Your Sparkle. So today we're going to talk to Tash about all that and um, find out what makes her a truly epic human. Welcome Tash, how are you?
1: Hi Callum, thank you. Thanks for the warm welcome and thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm really excited to be here today.
0: Oh absolutely, it was my pleasure because you know like I met you at a William White Cloud workshop and you're always a great ball of glowing energy so why not? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, really, I'm really thrilled to be here. I didn't expect to be um, on a podcast because this is something that's a little bit frightening to me but in honouring the idea of finding things scary but going ahead and doing it, here we are today. And I'm really excited to share about these couple of projects because they're really dear to my heart and if I can get the information out there and share it, that'll be amazing. So thank you. Thanks for having me today. Oh,
0: beautiful. An absolute pleasure. And like uh, Willie Cloud says, you know, you've got to lean into the tension. Um, which is scary, but yeah, good on you for showing up. And um, yeah. yeah, thanks again. So you've um, how long's the blog been going for the Tash Diaries?
1: Um, so the blog, I actually started writing um, about six months ago. So it was actually in Queensland um, midway through doing the Alchemy for Success um, course. And I'd had a really good conversation with a fellow um, a person that was doing the same course and I'd sort of talked to her about this idea and I had all these hesitations and, you know, all this fear about, you know, I'm a mum but there's lots of mums out there and they all know what they're doing and they don't need to hear from me. And But I just had this, this feeling that in sharing my story and being really open and honest and and vulnerable which is really scary and just putting it all out there i couldn't help but think that that would resonate with other mums so in talking to her she really encouraged me along and actually i I wrote my first blog during the course and i actually sent it off to her and she said this is great you know what are you worrying about you know get on with it and so I think I, it was a little bit of a stilted start. I kind of got back to Perth and, um, you know, back into family life with the three children and, you know, we had all the COVID excitement and um, lockdown for a while. So I was homeschooling and my husband was running his business from home. We had the baby. So it was just, you know, lots of good excuses to not do stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think it was just this... I'd really enjoyed that writing and, and it just kept calling to me. So it'd be really funny. I'd be driving along or something would happen with the children or, you know, it was almost like this flash of inspiration would come to me and i go, oh, I need to write about that. And so I just, as I I do that even now, as the inspiration comes to me, I just jot it down as a topic mm-hmm. and and then I write about it. And I think the thing that I just try to stay really true to every time I write is to not censor. It's not about being an amazing writer. You know, I, I have those hesitations around, oh, I haven't done any writing training. I'm not a published author. I'm not a subject matter expert. But it's, it's just sharing my journey. So I just make sure that I stay true to that. I have to really be quite vulnerable um, and really honest about what's going on. And, and so far in, in the sort of the sharings that I've done with the blogs, it's really resonated and, and people have already been reaching out and that's been really overwhelming, um, even to get that from people.
0: Yeah, wow, that's so cool. But yeah, like the, the, it's such an important uh, thing to express with vulnerability. It's scary too. Um, and yeah, I'm so familiar with those stories about, not being a, tra- a trained writer, like I've literally um, up until this year, I hadn't done any writing since high school, you know, like. And then this year, I just was like, you know what? I want to express. And like you, I had that, oh, but there's already so many people, you know, who am I? But then I just got to the point, well, what's, what's the worst that can happen? You know, like it, it literally is like, why not create a voice? And if you touch and support one person, like I was reading recently your um, your blog about having a autoimmune dysfunction and what that has meant. And, you know, it's just anyone who's got in a similar situation, having to be able to read that is going to make them feel so much like, yeah, I'm not alone in this. And that's why people like you are so important. And, yeah, I, I'm so happy that you're getting such a great response. And, yeah, yeah you, you have a great writing style too, I've got to say. It's, <laughs> it's entertaining, it's fun, it flows well. So, yeah, you should just keep it up. Right?
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And it's, it's funny because my confession is that prior to writing blogs myself, I'd never really read any blogs from anyone else. Mm. So... I just kind of went into it and, you know, I just started writing. And after a few of them, I thought, oh, the, it just, the words just seemed to come out of me. It was like, it was like I was just the vehicle for this information and it just sort of pours out of me. I find when I'm in that zone, it's it's quite, um almost don't remember. And I get to the end of it, I'm like, I just wrote a thousand words. Like, where did that come from? <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, initially I was like, I said to my, my husband who does a bit more work in this sort of space, I said, is that too long? Like how long is a blog supposed to be? You know, all of these um, need to know type questions started to pop up. Oh, are people going to want to read this? But again, coming back to that truth around just sharing my journey, you know, it is what it is. It's raw. It's That's the information that's come from me. And that's what I felt I needed to share. I've just I've literally just put them out there I've done a bit of a grammar check some spelling and and that you know it is what it is so yeah it's it's been a really really amazing journey for
0: me and I've really enjoyed it yeah. like I love it yeah, yeah. <laughs> which it's, it's cathartic isn't it you know like it yeah and like you say like when you when you start developing the muscle and and find like you say like a thousand words it's just like Boom, like I remember when I started writing and like while well, I went back to school last year and I'd be writing essays and it'd be like, oh my God, I've got to do, you know, 1500 words and I'm 500 in and I'm dying and it's taken three hours. And now, yeah, like a thousand words is like so quick. Yeah.
1: And do you think that's something to do with, well, for me, I think it's when you're in the heart and you've got that, it's just that energy. It feels mm-hmm. so much more effortless. Because I'm in a um, in a professional capacity, I write, you know, and I write letters and I write documents and I write reports, and you know that it's a very different style and it's a very different energy when you write that sort of that sort of information. But yeah, when I'm writing blogs, um, and I think it's that sharing your journey and sharing from your heart about your experiences, it just yeah, it just doesn't feel so hard. It just yeah, it feels quite easy
0: yeah yeah a hundred percent and and like you saying and writing from the heart and it shows you show because you could have a, a a similar blog with similar topics but if you're not coming from the heart it's gonna come up it just won't be as fun to read I believe
1: yeah
0: you know so um, yeah so good um so your autoimmune um, disorder or however, mm-hmm. Has it got
1: a name or...? Yeah, so initially it didn't. When I was first diagnosed, they said it's something on the autoimmune spectrum. We don't really know what it is, but it's a bit like lupus. Um, And then when it came... And so then I went into what I understand now was remission. So I didn't have any symptoms for about four years. And then when Nicholas was born, around the same time, six months in, the symptoms came back. And they came back with a vengeance, which is what I I write about in my blog. And um, then I went through the process of getting a new specialist because I just wasn't getting, you know, the consultative kind of conversation with my initial specialist. He was a very one way kind of directive, old school, take this drug, go away, you know, come back. And I was like, I don't even know what's going on. I need to understand more about what's happening with my body. And, you know, you want me to take these really powerful, potent drugs you know, some of which are used to treat cancer. Like this is pretty significant stuff I need to understand. So um, so I switched over and went to this, um, this new rheumatologist who put me through a whole um, run of tests and was really, really thorough. But I think he was quite worried because my inflammation markers and all of my white blood cells, you know, all the counts just looked really bad and he... I, he told me after he didn't say at the time, but he was looking to see if there was cancer. That's that's what he thought was going on, because mm. he said you can't you can't be this bad just inflammation. As it turns out, it was it was just not just, but that's that's sort of the point. My body had got to, mm. and they concluded at the end that it's um, a rheumatoid arthritis, but it's more like a systemic version. So mm. I think in the typical rheumatoid arthritis it affects more of your your hands and your feet whereas mine affects my whole body so just depending on um you know how bad it is and I guess at my lowest you know point around May um it was it was through my whole body so my ribs my neck shoulders you know and that and that was why I couldn't move which I didn't understand at the time um I didn't know what was going on I just knew my body was shutting down on me and it was yeah,
0: very frightening. Yeah, I can imagine. That would have been so scary. And, um, yeah, like what you, what you just said about going to a, a different specialist too, I, I feel like that should be the case in all fields. If you're not feeling your specialist and not getting what you want out of it, and I feel like a lot of people don't do that too. They just sort of trust the doctor, okay, and, and it's just so ridiculous. Um, so, see, um, so you were seeing the first specialist for quite a while, and the second specialist, I'm guessing, has offered a much better solution for your problem. Yeah.
1: Well, I think so. In the end, I've had to go on some of these medications, um, but it was more the process that he took me through to get to that end point. Yeah. And so I felt like, you know, so the first thing he did when he met me was that he sat down, he got me to run through my whole history, he asked lots of questions, you know, he asked about what my goals were. At the time I was still breastfeeding my baby and the implications of some of these medications meant that I'd have to wean him, mm. which I felt really strongly against. And, um, you know, in the end I did have to wean the baby, which is a—it's another blog I've written about and I haven't posted and that's a grief that I still still deal with today because it's just for me not something I was ready for and it was sort of put on me and it was this real really confronting time when I had to acknowledge that I had to put my needs ahead of my children and ahead of my baby which as a mum and lots of mums out there will resonate with this and also just in my personality type um, putting other people's needs ahead of mine is just Uh, sorry putting my needs ahead of others is um really really challenging particularly your baby (laughs) when they need you so but he yeah he he just helped me along you know like i said he put me through a whole lot of tests but it really then helped to show he's like this is where you're at you know your body is a mess you really need some help and and this is what's going to help you to get back to functioning and, you know, and I did a lot of work around, um, I haven't used some of the, you know, the conflict dilemma type um, work to kind of work through the process of, you know, um, so I'm hanging on to this idea of I want to keep feeding my baby. And so what, you know, what, what's that look like? And then, but what's, what am I actually missing out on at the moment as a mum? if I continue to feed and don't take this medication. And there were a whole host of things that I couldn't do anymore. I couldn't run with my children. I couldn't bend down and pick the baby up off the floor. I couldn't make them food. Like I couldn't open jars. I couldn't turn handles. Um, Some mornings I couldn't get in the car to drive because I couldn't turn my head. Um, You know, I talked about in the blog how, you know, and and you forget this. So I'm glad that I documented it. But my five-year-old son would help me to get dressed because I couldn't pull my jeans up. I couldn't, my hands were so swollen and so sore and, you know, my back was so sore that, and so he would help me to pull my, you know, and I'd have to call him to come and help me. And he was amazing. Like it's it's just incredible. And, And so I guess when I talk about being grateful about having an autoimmune condition, they're the sorts of things that emerge during that time, you know, that, That the the kids just rallied my daughter would go and get the baby out of the cot and to this day now she does that he looks for her (laughs) she grabs him out of the cot and she puts him in the high chair um gives him you know some toast to start the morning and yeah so I was just I'm just so so lucky that I had that support around me um and and my kids to help
0: yeah, well, but it's also like speaks volumes about you you as a mother, you know, like a, a, a giving mother. Where, you know, you've shown your kids what it's like to just be loving and caring. So that's that's what they've grown up with.
1: Yeah,
0: that's so, true. Yeah, and I think we also forget that kids are hugely capable if we allow them to be. You know. Yes. Yeah.
1: And that's um that that was a big one for me because I think. Um, in my mind, you support your children by doing things for them and helping them. And when they're really little, they need that help. But mine are now eight, just turned six and one. And so particularly the older two, they sort of get to a point where they actually are capable enough and can do these things. But it's you realising that you need to get out of their way and let them. So Suddenly they were doing the dishes and making themselves breakfast and, and, you know, helping out with the washing and and just doing stuff that they probably could have done for quite some time before I realised, but I had to get that sick <laughs> and that unwell before I allowed these things to happen. And then I looked at them and thought, look at these amazingly capable little humans. Yeah. Um, and, and that's helping them, isn't it, because... What, like, what, of what service is it to them if you just do something for them and you do you do all their things for them and then they don't have any skills to do stuff for themselves?
0: Yeah, well, there's that, and there's also too, if you're doing all those things, it leaves very little time for real quality time with your kids too, um, and that's what I see with with a lot of parents is, okay, they're doing all these things, you know, like the dad's got a six-figure job and he's off working or, you know, and both parents are working and providing this beautiful home, but they haven't got a deep connection with their children because there's just no quality time available. Yeah. And that for me was always a priority with my kids is just remembering that, you know, they're only little ones. And I'm sure you agree, like, I'm sure it feels like only yesterday that your eight-year-old was being held in your arms and was so little and helpless.
1: Yeah, and it's, yeah. yeah. Sorry, it's no. so, it's no. No. yeah. Oh, it's so true, and it's. Um, yeah, it's such a reminder when you sort of you look at them and you see them changing and you think, when did that happen?
0: <laughs> and you think,
1: Okay, time needs to slow down, but time's not going to slow down. So you need to take these opportunities. And all they want is, you know, my little boy, he waits for my hubby to get home and he's got the ball ready. And all he wants is dad to go and, you know, um, shoot hoops with him or kick the soccer ball. or And it's those really simple things mm. that they cherish and they don't care about the house looking clean and they don't care about whether, you know, what the dinner, if it's an elaborate dinner or a simple dinner, as long as they eat. Mm. Um, that's all the stuff we put on ourselves. Yeah. Uh, it's often it's just those basic um, things that you as an adult, I think, sometimes overlook because you've got so much going on in your head and you think, oh, I've got to do that thing and there's a bill to pay and there's, you know, all the things going on.
0: Yeah.
1: But just taking that time and... And spending that, you know, it could be five or ten minutes, and it just makes such a difference to that little person's day.
0: Hmm. Yeah, because and I think people forget that we're we're training them to be little humans. Yeah, and if they haven't got that that warm, loving environment, like it it affects kids. I always use the analogy of like when I take my kids to the pool. Like they're getting older now. My oldest is seventeen, which is crazy. Like. But, um, yeah, I remember this one day I um, had done a, like, 12-hour day at work on the back of, like, it just was busy, busy, busy. Unfortunately, I don't live with the kids, but anyway, I was on the way to see them. And, and yeah, I rang them up and I put on the, oh, I'm so tired, voice, you know, like, because we we're meant to be going to the pool. And I was like, oh, I really can't be bothered. Um and so Leary answers, oh, yeah, I'm really tired, I had such a big day. And he's going, Well, you're gonna be even tired after we have a swim, aren't you, Dad? I, I had to accept that response. And I tell you, like, as soon as I jumped in the water that night, I felt 50% better. And, you know, like whenever I took the kids to the pool, we'd always just be playing, but I'd always see these parents on their phones, you know, the kids are in the water. You know like um i remember yeah kids would just be drawn to playing with me and my kids and like some of the parents would get a bit like who's this strange man and i at first was like oh kid you know like go away but after, i'm like you know what if the kid wants to play and we can play a fun game like i'm hoping that the adult maybe sees this and goes well maybe i should be in that role you know, like, but um Again and again, like probably 90% of the parents at the swimming pool are just not, not actively participating with their children. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's um sad but true. And I would be lying if I said I hadn't been caught in that trap from time to time where I find myself looking at my phone and then the kids are playing in front of me or they're kind of doing their own thing. Mm. And you don't... You don't want it to become the norm that they're used to seeing mummy with a phone up in front of her face between her and and them, you know, and and I think sadly that has become more socially normal and a pool is a great example, the playground, you know, the school setting, um, I see it all the time and it's something I'm really conscious of because I know it is easy to get drawn into those addictive phones and there's Mm. just a whole world in there that people get, you know, sucked into. Um, but you know, we make a really conscious effort to do things like put the phones away at dinner time and around, you know, that evening time when it, the family's together, when it's time for bed, you know, phones are away. It's just easier not to have them there because I think it doesn't take much. You see a text message pop up and then you go and look at that, and then the next thing there's an email and and then a, a Facebook notification pops up. Like it's really easy to just get drawn into it. And then next thing you know, you've been in there for who knows, five, ten minutes, and you've just you're totally not present. And that's something that I think you really have to as a as a modern parent, you have to consciously work on being present. And and just being present in general. It's something that the whole human population is struggling with at the moment. And oh,
0: absolutely. And it's it's yeah, it's become a lot worse since COVID, I feel like it really has disconnected like. My youngest had a fair bit of anxiety for having to go back to school a couple of weeks ago. I felt really bad about it. But um, what can you do? But this feels like a really good segue into your other project, Tash. Tell me yeah. about Find Your Sparkle.
1: So um, this is even newer than the Tash Diaries and Uh, remiss of me not to say that I'm working on it with a fellow graduate Kirsty. so this is actually her brainchild and um, we're we're now sort of working on it as a co-delivery process and we're both mums of three young children so there's we've got six between us so we've got quite the brood. and we met each other through school um, but then started doing some of the William Whitecloud work together and and this uh, idea of this concept, it was born from some of that work. And I guess in a nutshell, it's around supporting young people to build their intuitive, so, so I guess young people are naturally intuitive, but we kind of bash it out of them. And so the idea of this program is that we encourage them to actually go back to that and, and trusting their Trusting their inner knowing, trusting that they know the answer, rather than seeking that external validation or external confirmation—is this the right thing? You know, seeking that rather than trusting themselves, and so in harnessing that, that then helps them to sort of tap into their their creativity and just allowing them to have that freedom and that confidence that they know the answer and. And as an adult, that's been something that I've learned quite late in life, or I've relearned, and and I'm embracing now. And and the Tash Diaries blog is a great example of where I've allowed myself to tap into that inner creativity and and really just let it flow. But if we can empower these young people from so six to twelve is kind of our age group that we're we're targeting. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what they're going to do with the world if they've got these skills and they're they're being allowed to? To harness these skills, and you know, and and being readily promoted that they should trust themselves and go with their gut and follow their creativity.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Like that, it's it's just um, and not just the creativity. I feel like that that is huge, and like having these children working out at an early age, like what do I want to do? You know, not not having to. Oh, I've got to fit into this box. It's like. And I feel like that's very important for the kids, but I can see a side effect of this being um, a, a heightened sense of emotional intelligence too. Yes, um, yeah. yeah, and yeah.
1: that's I think so. It's it's a six week program, and initially, it's about that we we look at uh, promoting mindfulness, and so in a in a kid appropriate way, we do some activities and exercises around being still and, you know, I guess it's around when that sort of emotional charge takes over, giving them some strategies around how they can help to regulate in a young person way, you know, and and how they can then channel that. And then also, I guess, going on from the, the mindfulness then, we look into actually it's that process of tapping into their, you know, their intuition and their and sort of, by doing that and observing what's going on around them and, you know, being able to just step back and, and see what's happening, they're really then, I guess, uh, that's empowering them around that emotional intelligence element because mm-hmm. it's it's really sort of using that, but taking those cues and watching what's happening around them and then responding accordingly. Yeah. So, i think and an emotional intelligence you know it's a it's a term that gets thrown around a lot and people talk about you know eq and how important it is but actually having that that ability and from a young age to promote that because i think there's so much focus on the academic side of things and the iq you know are they intelligent can they read can they spell can they do their maths but that social side of things and the emotional side it's it's hugely important um, and massively important on how you go as a person in general like going into adulthood I'd much rather have EQ than IQ I just think it serves you a lot a lot better than than IQ
0: yeah well 100% and it's and it's very much lacking in our school system um, yeah where the 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 sort of benchmark for success has always been, oh, you got to get A's. And, and But there's no, like I've said, I've always found it interesting. We've got physical education, which is important, but why not emotional education? So it's yep. so good that you're choosing to create a program um, around this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I, I think, um, and you know, and it's another heart-led project because just in watching my own children grow, and Kirsty's the same, we're watching some of these challenges emerge as they're going through primary school. So we we haven't even got to high school yet, which I think is going to be another kettle of fish. But even now, um, and you touched on it before, that we're seeing more and more young people experiencing anxiety at such a young age and more and more young people who are, you know, fearful and not trusting themselves and not having that confidence to, you know, there's this sort of peer pressure and and this this real, I mean, I don't remember it being so prolific when I was in school. I just might not have been aware, but I'm seeing it now in young people and, I, and it scares me. And I think, okay, well, what are we doing here to try and, I don't want my six-year-old to have anxiety. Like it's bad enough as an adult. Let's just let them be kids for a while. So, yes. So I think just... Seeing that and, and saying, well, if between us and we've got six children, we can see these these patterns emerging and we can see it in, you know, in the school setting and playing out in some of our friendship circles with other young people we know, it's got to be happening broader than that. And so the, the need for something like this program where these young people get to come in and and we really focus a lot on this, you know, the mind and and you know, this emotional well-being and, and having confidence in yourself. And, and we do a little bit around uh, building true friendships and true, true relationships as well. So again, at a um, young people appropriate level, but just around you know knowing what what does a good relationship look like and what's a healthy relationship? And if it's not serving you, what do you do? Because as an adult, I need to know that. So I think, um, for young people, being able to identify early on, or oh, this isn't, this friendship is not serving me mm. or this is not what a good friend does and being able to name that and then know what to do about it and have the confidence to do something about it, to me, is really powerful.
0: Oh, yeah, that's huge. And, um, wow, you really touched on a few key issues, I feel, with, with what you were just saying. And, you know, like, and it's been proved, like, we know the anxiety and the depression is on the rise, and I, I've been wondering if it's just like they say, whether in the information age. And I remember reading somewhere that our children between zero and four receive more information than our grandparents did in their whole lives.
1: Far out.
0: Which is crazy, you know, when you think about it. And it's no they're just being overloaded with so much stuff. And, and, um, yeah, and, and like you say, there's, there's just been no, no benchmark for them to work out, yeah, what, what, what is a healthy relationship? You know, and also, um, yeah, the awareness of their world around them. Like I notice a lot of kids out there just don't seem to be aware of, like not spatially aware, you know, they really seem to have no idea that there's this outside world around them. And I almost feel like it is that, um, you know, like it's a parental guilt. It was what we were talking about earlier when we, the parents do all this stuff for the kids, you know, but not actually training them how to be human. So the kids sort of have this expectation that they can't, like it's weird, they kind of feel like they're the centre of the world. But, but what does that look like? They feel very lost. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: And I think... Um... And hopefully, I, you know, I'm not going to get in trouble for saying this, but as a parent, I think sometimes it's easier to provide the the material needs, you know, the physical needs, you know, that stuff's really easy to tick because it's like, right, have I got new clothes for my children? You know, are they well fed? Have they got the right toys? You know, tick, tick, tick. Are they getting a good education? As in, are we sending them to the right schools and what have you? So that's just me a really easy tangible list to go all right i've got this parenting thing under i'm I'm doing okay but the emotional side of things is really hard like that's the that's the hard stuff so Mm. that takes and it's you know it's not a one size fits all um from what my daughter needs to my middle son to my youngest son their emotional needs are totally different they're at different ages they have different personalities uh, we learned really early on that, um, you know, what worked for my daughter and then the second one, my son came along and he didn't respond to any of the the methods that we used as a parent. So we had to chuck the parenting handbook out and, and start again. But addressing them emotional needs, is it's hard stuff. So it's not that, you know, I think every parent wants to do the right thing by their children. Um, it's just sometimes it's not so easy to do that stuff. and. Yeah. And sometimes we're, we've got our own battles going on and emotionally we're not quite all, you know, um, completely on top of things. So, yeah, it can be a bit of a vicious cycle.
0: Yeah, well, I feel like, um, you know, we have this illusion that one day like the adult button is going to click in, you know, like we're going to wake up and yes, I'm an adult and everything I know is, you know, this is it and I know everything. And it just never happens. You know, um, and we muddle along, sometimes drowning, sometimes paddling, sometimes swimming, you know, but um, yeah, again, like I, I'm feeling like, you know, like as your program expands, you know, like maybe have a six week parenting course that, that, can, that can go hand in hand with this.
1: Yeah, you've you've nailed it there, Callum. You're onto it. Have you um, read my vision?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> because um, I think and and the Tash Diaries is a sort of a segue into that too, with that engagement with mums and building that community of mums that are wanting to be more aware and wanting to support one another on the, this journey. And I mean, I say predominantly mums, but anyone that it speaks to as a parent or that can relate in terms of children, then, you know, by all means, I'm happy, happy for whoever it engages. And the kids programs are saying we feel like, right, so we've got the kids here. Here's a great opportunity now because these are parents who are obviously wanting to live more consciously or at least promoting their children to live more consciously. So there's an opportunity to support them through this journey. and so. We've talked about um, you know almost running a parallel course. So while your children are in doing their children um, mindfulness, we'll do the mum and dad version of mindfulness as a parallel program. So
0: yeah it's,
1: um, it's on the cards we' just we just got to get this kids pilot done first.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no I can see this being um, hugely popular. And it's also just it, it occurred to me the, the irony of mindfulness, is actually getting us out of our mind. You know? Like and it just just hit me just then. Because, you know, as a parent, especially like a hard working parent, you've been at work all day, you know, you've been stress, 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 you know, and it would be great to have, you know, on that twenty minute ride home from work, some practices to do. So by the time you get home, you're a bit more, you're with your children. Um. yeah, that would be hugely, hugely helpful.
1: Yeah. Oh, I could benefit from that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and we all have the best intentions, don't we? But like you said, sometimes you've had a crappy day and things have not gone well and you're running late and then, you know, one of the children's had a bad day as well, and then they have a meltdown. And as an adult, you know, I try and remind myself, you've got to be the adult in the room, but I can't always regulate my own emotions. So how do we expect these young people, if we don't support them to develop these skills, how do we expect them to regulate their emotions when there's so much more going on for them and the development process? And like you said, that. The amount of information their brains are being overloaded with, the expectations I feel that we place on young people these days is just enormous in terms of schooling and then sporting and extracurricular. And there's this idea that we all have to keep up with. I don't know who it is we're keeping up with, but there's this race for to make sure that we're not falling behind. And so, you know as a parent or just as an adult having more awareness and having those skills to be able to self-regulate so then I can help my children to self-regulate because how can I help them if I can't do it myself?
0: Yeah, 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 100%. But it's interesting too because I've met a lot of people that, yeah, you know, I got into meditation a few years ago, um, mainly, yeah, because, yeah, mental health and I didn't like there was times where my anxiety and, whatever else was going through was affecting my kids and it was horrible to look at and horrible to just realize that, wow, you know, like if if I'm putting that on my kids and they're, they're seeing me like this and I'm not doing anything about it, it it's harming them developmentally. Um, so for me, yeah, getting into meditation and yeah, it, it changed a lot in my life. Um, also changed how, how I relate to the kids uh, a lot more. Um, yep. But, yeah, I keep on coming across people who have these excuses that they don't, oh, no, I, I can't meditate. You know, oh, I've tried it once. It didn't work.
1: I was one of those people, Callum. So, ah. hand, you know, confess, hand up, I, I confess. And, and so another thing that the autoimmune, being unwell, that's something that, I really latched onto when I was unwell and, and now um, it's something I do daily and it's part of my daily routine. It's part of what keeps me centered. And yeah, it's incredible how I was, I was that person and, Oh, I tried that. You know, I fall asleep or my mind wanders or the mind's supposed to be still and I'm still thinking it all those, all those thoughts that I can't do it. So I'm just going to leave. it. It's not for me. Mm. That's not my thing. And, yeah, I think if you can find, you know, even it's I think sometimes people feel like, oh, well, I should be able to do 45 minutes at a time or it has to be this big extended process and I think you've just got to find what works for you. So, uh,
0: yeah, 100%. And it's also like this, this interesting idea that people have that meditation is always blank mind sitting perfectly still in the lotus position, you know, it's not true. You know, like you can meditate while doing the dishes. Yeah, you can meditate like sometimes my meditations actually become quite a lot of movement. Like dancing is actually can be a form of meditation if you just put that intention with it. So if you're a person that struggles to stay still, have a boogie but keep the intention of, of just letting go of the stress, you know, the intentional breathing and yeah moving your body because getting into your body too can be hugely beneficial with uh, meditation
1: And it's um you're so right because meditation is really it's a form of that of mindfulness isn't it or so it's about being present and instead of thinking ahead or behind or you know pondering it's just being in that moment And so if you think about it, in that sense if there's something that you know that you do and that keeps you present for 5 minutes well that's that's a great that to me is a great way of doing it so I think maybe sometimes the idea of meditation you're right has a few connotations that people think oh it's got to be some guru music in the background and you know gongs chiming and <laughs> and chanting you know incantations I'm not sure what people think when they're not not comfortable with it but perhaps the idea of of that just being present and so whatever that might look like like you said having a dance or if it's painting or doing a, a yoga class or anything that can help you to just stay in the present with your mind as it is and not trying to to sort of think past that point at that moment in time.
0: Yeah well it's it's that old adage you know like depression is worried about being worried about the past and anxiety is being worried about the future.
1: Yeah,
0: um, yeah and it's just such a it's such a beautiful lesson when we can embody that and I'm sure as everyone else like some days are easier to meditate than others you know um i'm certainly guilty of that but i also know that if i'm if i'm deep in my practice you know like half an hour to an hour a day that's what look at that that's for me that's what i need to keep myself functioning at a level sometimes i wish i was a person who could do 10 minutes and be okay but yeah, I, I'm someone that needs to dedicate uh, a fair amount of time, um, but it's just so worth it. Like, you know, I, I, I used to be on anti uh, um, anxiety medication um, for a couple of years, and it's just been able, good to be able to get off all that stuff and, and rely on me to um, get to a better place. Yeah. I'll tell you, if I can do it, I reckon anyone can, you know. <laughs> I'll be honest.
1: But that's such good advocacy for it, isn't it?
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but you just reminded me too of um, one of my favourite uh, things I learned with the William White Cloud work was the innocence meditation. And it's so cool. Like when you remember that, like say if you're in a park and remember, oh, step into innocence. And it's amazing how just that little thought can just change everything. Yeah, I really, I really dig that. Um, Yeah, and it's so cool. I love that you're choosing to teach kids who are already in innocence. Yeah. You know, and wow, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Like,
1: It'll be um, really interesting because one of the, sessions we actually do with them is we do a mini version of an innocence meditation but it's we call it like a safari walk so we do a bit of a meditation with them and sort of do some deep breathing and then we basically will get them to go out and go for a little walk in the garden and walk through the bush and have a look at the trees and they go come back and similar to what we did as adults but to share what they saw and what they observed and and you know as we would recall, the vibrancy. And so it would be really interesting to see through a young people, through their lens, how that plays out because, you know, as adults we're really good at dulling the world down and seeing it in blurs and not really taking it in. And so it was a really mind-blowing kind of shift for me Mm. going out and doing that innocence meditation and then just seeing the world it felt like for the first time. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what is this? Uh, but, yeah, through the lens of young people, like you said, who do sit in innocence much better than we do, um, I think I think as the, the older they get, the more they'll benefit from this. But, yeah, it's it's certainly going to be something I'll, I'll be watching keenly to see.
0: Yeah, because, like, it's bringing awareness to their natural state. Yeah, and and then they can, yeah, continue with that through you know where where most of us forget it you know we become teenagers and it's just it's just all gone you know um so yeah it's so cool that you're um able to do that now yeah. so so when you're running the programs at this stage is it, it are they private groups or yeah.
1: Yeah, well, this is all fresh off the press. So we're literally running our first pilot and we're using our children as guinea pigs mm-hmm. and just a couple of other friends that have got children of a similar age. So the first course um, runs starting from two weeks' time, I think it is, 2nd of November. Mm-hmm. So we'll start initially it will be delivering locally face-to-face, but we do have the intention of doing some videos so that then we have the option um, to kind of broaden the reach, and if it's something that then appeals, and I think in this day and age where where we're at, um, being prepared and having an online version of the course as well is just good practice. Yeah. So, in in terms of one enabling us to to broaden our reach, but also then safeguarding that if for some reason we can't do face to face delivery going forward, that we can still have the the um the option the online version as well. Mm. Oh, yeah fantastic.
0: yeah, yeah, I so look forward to uh, observing how this progresses because it just like to me, and like my intuition says, a, this is needed, and B people are going to want to do it, kids are going to enjoy it, you know, um, you'll certainly bring great energy into it. So yeah, yeah I'm very excited about this project hash.
1: Thank like, you. We're very excited too.
0: Yeah, ah, so good. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for, uh, for keeping me entertained, Tash. It's been great catching up. Um, and yeah, look, we'll, we'll probably have to do a, a podcast six months from now to tell me all, all your progress and how you're too busy.
1: oh we'll see about that but thank you it's been so nice to to talk to you and just to be able to share about these two projects and it all feels a bit surreal actually to to be on a podcast and to be talking to you and it's yeah it's just been it's, it's quite a ride so just trying to take it all in and um enjoy it and And, yeah, just, again, thank you and well done for all the work you're doing because it's amazing and and you've just responded to your calling and you're just so brave and courageous. So um, I'll be watching you and, yeah, you inspire me. So thank you, Callum.
0: Oh, thank you, Tash. Oh, you've my heart. Yeah, well, thanks, everyone, for listening and um, stay rascally and have a beautiful day. We'll see you later.